Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I have a question to begin today's show. How about them dogs? How much fun does it feel to be a Georgia fan here today, right now? And I saw a lot of like jokes on social media to the effect yesterday of, oh, I'm glad to finally see Georgia catch a break or something along those lines where, you know, I think there is a little bit of fatigue here that the team that's won the last two national championships has now won with the number one recruit in the country, five-star quarterback Dylan Riola. Obviously, that news becoming official yesterday. And those of us who are Georgia fans are just in the midst of, I think just sort of soaking this all up and, and appreciating all of this. And you better believe that we're going to continue to do that this summer. And we're going to be, you know, obviously curious about what happens next and all the energy and the excitement that sort of exists around this. And I can't help but think back to the word that I used yesterday on the show. And I said this with John Stinchcomb. I said, you know, John, imagine for a moment you're not a Georgia fan. Either you're a traditional Georgia rival, like a Florida and Auburn, somebody like that. Or you're a competitor with Georgia right now for the college football playoff in Alabama and Ohio State, whoever else. Imagine how demoralizing this must feel. Because this is the thing that Georgia was not supposed to be able to do. Either because they couldn't do it, stubborn Kirby was unwilling to do it, the the elite quarterback was supposed to be beyond Georgia's grasp. And yeah, they may have won uh, two straight national championships with a walk-on quarterback, but they can never play at this level at the quarterback position. Well, guess what? Now they do this too. Now Georgia gets great quarterbacks too to go along with historically good defense. And when great quarterbacks come, big-time wide receivers seemingly want to follow. More on that in just a moment. So if you've been kind of holding on to that as the one peg you had left, the one sort of cudgel you still had left if you wanted to kind of whack George over the head with it of what this program couldn't do which is yeah you're pretty good on defense and yeah you do this and yeah you do that but hey this is the place you come for big time quarterbacks that's what Alabama or Ohio State would have said you know this is the place that you come for kind of the high-powered passing attack that's what other programs would have said well Georgia said okay we do all this other stuff and we do it better than anybody else but now we also do this as well so if you're a florida or an auburn or a georgia rival today if you're a georgia competitor like an alabama or ohio state today this is demoralizing and if you're a georgia fan you ought to be just like me and i'm sure you are in fact i know you are because i've already heard from so many of you you are just soaking up every part of this this is just so much fun this is what we have been waiting for all lands have been conquered and georgia is seemingly just kind of getting started i love the tweet from sokovi wide sokovi is a guy that i really like he is in the 2024 signing class for georgia he goes to cass high school i think he's a really dazzling athlete i think the georgia fans are going to love him as kind of a slot receiver sometime in the future of this program man his tweet yesterday uh jeff Sintel shared this when we were live on video reacting to all this yesterday i don't know that anything kind of brought me out of my chair more so than sokovi white's particular tweet let me show you this on the screen here for a moment what white says he says after uh, seeing the Dylan Ryola news become official, he says it seems like it's going to be back to back to back to back. <laughs> in other words, there was a time in the past when which you know a recruit, if he wanted to get some attention in a Dog Nation story, all he had to do was sort of call his shot to say, "I'm coming to Georgia and we're coming to win a national championship." That's kind of the cool quote. And if you said something like that, it kind of got your attention. Well, that doesn't really move the needle for Georgia fans anymore. The meter doesn't really get moved by that as much because, as Sokovi points out, Georgia's already won the last two national championships. But the move here to bring in Riola and the energy that kind of comes along with all of that all of a sudden now puts Georgia in play for future national championships. I halfway joked on this yesterday by saying, we may look back on this in the future and kind of view 2021 and 2022 as sort of the lean years. That in the future, the Georgia really may have an offense that pushes the boundaries of human achievement just the same way the Georgia defense really did in 2021 and you know came close to doing sometimes in 2022. That as good as the present tense has been for Georgia and the very recent past has been for Georgia, the future may be even brighter. And I know that seems obnoxious, but tell me where I'm wrong. And I mean that literally. Tell me where I'm wrong if that's what we say today. Because here's what we know. And this is what I think for those of us who are so you know energized by this, 
I think we're setting the stage here for a summer that's just going to be a blast. This is about to be so much fun, y'all. And uh, Jeff Sintel, I know, because I talked to him a little bit this morning, is going to have a great story at DogNation.com today where he kind of previews the scavenger hunt event that's going to take place this weekend. Amazing visitors on tap for that. Obviously, Dylan Riola has his own official visit coming up to Georgia to begin the uh, month of June. He'll get a chance to do that now as a Georgia commitment based on the news there from yesterday. And the big question on the mind of all Georgia fans is, well, who's coming with him? Riola's coming to Georgia. Quarterbacks need wide receivers to throw to. Receivers typically want to have the very best quarterbacks throw to them because that sets the stage for their own future NFL success. This has been the one position group historically for Georgia that's probably lagged behind a little bit in comparison to the great offensive linemen that Georgia's produced, many of them going into the first round of the NFL draft. Every single level of the Georgia defense, defensive line, linebacker, secondary, they're producing first-round picks with abandon. Uh, tight ends, obviously the deepest program in the country for that. We'll see Brock Bowers, I would say, is the best player in the country this year, that tight end spot. Receiver's been one of those places where that's kind of lagged a little bit, but maybe that's also about to change here there as well. This is probably the most talented crop of receivers to begin a season on paper that I believe the Kirby Smarts ever had. And the future may even be brighter than that. I'll cite an example here that if, you know, Dylan Riola is the best player in the country, you can make case second best player in the country may be Jeremiah Smith, five-star wide receiver committed to Ohio State. He has flirted with everybody. I'm not going to pretend that he hasn't. In addition to just Georgia, places like Florida uh, there as well. Ohio State fans hate that. Uh, but nonetheless, a name like that becomes more relevant now, especially with him having an official visit here coming up to UGA very soon, too. Uh, he openly acknowledges that he's paying more attention to George because of the Riola news. I'll give you a quote here. This is coming from our friends at On3. They put this out on social media. Jeremiah Smith saying, Georgia getting Dylan means a lot to me and my interest in them. I have to really give Georgia a look now that they have Dylan Riola. That's Jeremiah Smith. And the point here is, is that not to say, well, that means Jeremiah Smith's coming to Georgia. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is, because there's a very good chance that ultimately Jeremiah Smith, like a lot of recruits, you know, kind of flirts a little bit and kind of looks around a little bit, ultimately ends up staying at Ohio State. Now, this is not a called shot on, on Jeremiah Smith necessarily, but I wouldn't count it out either. I would give Georgia a real legitimate shot with every recruit. And so I think the quote there from Jeremiah Smith is supposed to be a placeholder and a reminder and an example that every elite receiver in the country will now be looking more closely at Georgia because of this. A guy like Smith, who sort of already had a little bit of a thought uh, about Georgia, a little bit of a tie for Georgia. He was already kind of taking, you know, planning a, an official visit to Georgia even prior to this announcement becoming official yesterday with Dylan Riola. But think about a guy in state like a Mike Matthews, who we really haven't talked about with Georgia at all in quite some time. You know, does a guy like that become more in play with Georgia because of the Riola news? I would suggest that anything is possible. Nothing is guaranteed, but anything is possible. And you can cite other big-time receivers going to be paying close attention to this there too. That I think reading every word that Jeff Sintel writes, uh, watching him on Wednesdays before the hedge is presented by Kroger when he kind of presents this in video form, joining us on Fridays here on our show, every single moment we have a chance to catch up on Georgia recruiting – over the course of the next few weeks, not only is it a really a necessary conversation for Georgia fans to kind of find out what's going on, this is just the stuff we live for. The fact that Georgia is experiencing a new level of energy around its recruiting, unlike anything we've ever seen in the past. Yes, they've won national championships, and yes, they've you know had elite recruiting classes that have made those national championships possible. But would you join me in saying that some of this just sort of feels a little bit different? That there's something about this right now that's a little bit of a new horizon even for a program like georgia that's seemingly done about everything that can be done something about this right now just sort of feels a little bit different now let me give you a couple of other thoughts kind of related to this and we'll do some of this throughout the show but kind of moving off the recruiting aspect of this here for a moment or at least in terms of future recruits who might who may join up with georgia because of this i thought that uh, connor riley who's going to join us in a couple of minutes I thought he had a really good piece at dognation.com yesterday, really kind of pointing the spotlight on someone who I believe, and I've been told, is instrumental in all of this, and that's Georgia offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. And y'all, this is a really big deal because the Bobo hire, if you want to go back a couple of months ago, was a real conversation starter among Georgia fans, and not all of that chatter was positive. A lot of folks wondered if Bobo kind of had what it took to step in in place of a guy like Todd Munkin who had been so successful. And one of the things we tried to point out was 
is that while filling the shoes of Munkin in terms of play calling and results on the field, things like that, are obviously a pretty big challenge because of how high uh, Munkin set the bar, there are also opportunities for Mike Bobo to provide Georgia some things that Munkin couldn't provide. There were some opportunities for Bobo in some respects to be an upgrade over Munkin in key areas. This is an example of that. If Mike Bobo is not your offensive coordinator, I don't know that Georgia wins with five-star quarterback Dylan Raiola. I just don't. And I think, therefore, Bobo should get some credit for this. And therefore, I think as Mike returns here as the Georgia offensive coordinator, now working for his good friend Kirby Smart as head coach, I think that ought to give him a positive reception among Georgia fans. If you've been on the fence fence about Bobo before, I think you need to get off. If you'd been somewhat tepid or lukewarm in your support of Bobo's offensive coordinator, I think you need to turn the heat up on your own feelings here on this. Mike Bobo has has started his tenure as Georgia offensive coordinator with giving you a pretty good gift here in terms of setting yourself up for the future with a guy like Dylan Riola, instrumental in this, I believe, and I believe you ought to get some credit for that. I think he is. Hopefully all Georgia fans are kind of coming around on this, that these are the kinds of recruiting wins you can get when you have a recruiting-minded offensive coordinator at the helm of your program. So let's please make sure we uh, give Mike Bobo some credit for that. We'll have more on that in a moment. Now, let me also say one more thing about this here, too, for a moment. Then all we just talked about, hey, this gives you a chance to win with more big-time recruits. Hey, Mike Bobo already paying dividends as your offensive coordinator. Hey, talk of big wins and great success. And that's all a fun conversation, and we're going to be in that up to our eyeballs for a long time to come. I, I jokingly said this yesterday. We haven't even started the hype yet. The, the hype that we'll contribute to by the time we get to, you know, December of 2023, looking into 2024, I mean, there's just no telling, you know, where we'll have this thing by then. We're only just now getting started. But there are for some a concern. There are for some uh, unanswered series of questions that leads them to, to worry here a little bit because – when you say, well, Georgia's already got a starting quarterback right now in Carson Beck, at least we presume Beck to be the starter for now. Uh, maybe that won't happen, but let's just say an assumed starter in Carson Beck. I mean, he could, counting this season, still be at Georgia for three more years if he wanted to be. He's got a good bit of eligibility left. And then young quarterback like Brock Vandergriff kind of waiting in the wings and young quarterback like Gunnar Stockton kind of waiting in the wings. And now Dylan Riola's inserted into that. And all of a sudden it seems like you've got so many quarterbacks and who knows who's going to do what. And there's a fear that so-and-so might transfer and so-and-so might do this and whatever else. In, in fact, uh, former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray is in the media and does a lot of things like that. It was on his Twitter feed yesterday talking about the Riola situation. And I was pretty amazed at, in a matter of only a few seconds of chatter on Twitter, uh, Murray pretty quickly, quickly pivoted to the, I'm not sure you can keep all these quarterback type thing. And I want, I want to let you hear Aaron Murray on this because I think his statement here kind of reflects the way that a lot of Georgia fans feel. And then I've got a response to that coming up. This is Aaron Murray from his Twitter feed yesterday. Man, that quarterback room is going to be stacked next year. I think Carson's good enough to go one and done. I think he's going to have a massive year, so he may be out of there. But Gunner, Brock, now Dylan, I don't eesh, I don't think you can keep all three of them heading into the 2024 season. So big decisions coming up for all these young kids. But a massive get for Kirby as he continues to dominate the recruiting. So I said this to our video audience before our show began today. We do a thing called First and 15, dognation.com, dognation app. If you ever get a chance to join us live on our own platforms there, uh, website, the app, We'll give you some extra content that nobody else gets anywhere else. It's not archived on any of our other video channels or certainly not available as a podcast either. And what we're talking about is, is that there's an aspect of Kirby Smart's personality that I think the Georgia fans ought to reflect more. I think Aaron Murray, obviously he knows more about the quarterback position than I do. He was a successful player and, a, you know, analyst, things like that. I mean, I, certainly he knows more about the position than I ever could because I didn't play the position he did. But I think to pivot so quickly to, oh, my gosh, the, the, the noise that he made was, ish, uh, you know, all these guys, ish, can you keep all these guys? Can you keep everybody happy? I understand the genesis of that question. I understand where that comes from. But this is one of those things where I think you ought to reflect the attitude of Kirby Smart a little bit more. And there's an aspect of Kirby Smart's personality that I don't know that people fully appreciate, and I believe they should. You know, we have this image of Kirby as, the sort of typical coach who wants to control everything and is always kind of managing every detail and, you know, trying to plan for the future. And sometimes people who kind of like super plan for the future have this uh, tendency to believe they can control certain aspects of the future. But if you really look carefully, even though Kirby is a meticulous planner and certainly a very strategic thinker, the one thing I feel like I see from Kirby Smart is 
I think Kirby is actually pretty comfortable with a large level of uncertainty about the future. I think that I haven't really heard Smart say this necessarily, but the way in which he operates would lead you to believe that Smart knows there are certain things in the future that you cannot plan for, and there are certain outcomes that you cannot control. You can try to set yourself up for success as best you possibly can, but the actual outcome is just sort of left up to whatever, whatever you believe in, I guess. Uh, uh, it is not under your control necessarily. And I think this is an aspect in which, not to get too philosophical, but I think that Georgia fans would do right to kind of follow Kirby on this. What's going to happen with the future of the Georgia quarterback position? I have no idea. And if Kirby Smart were sitting right by me right now, if it was me, Eddie the Blind Squirrel, and Kirby Smart sitting at this desk, I believe that Kirby Smart would also say, I really don't know. I don't, I don't know. Does Dylan Riola start next season? Does Dylan Riola start two years from now? Does something happen and Dylan Riola never started Georgia? Does Gunnar Stockton transfer? Does, does Brock Vandegrift transfer? Does Carson Beck stay here for three more years? I don't know. I don't know. We're just going to let it play out. I think for Georgia fans, you ought to probably do the same thing here on this, that there are no wrong answers to a question of this quality. How many good quarterbacks does Georgia have and who's the best one and What's the next step going to be and this, that? To me, our job here is just to watch it, let it play out, and hopefully the great number of promising prospects that Georgia has produces a capable starter every year moving forward because that's ultimately the goal here on all of this, to, uh, to identify an effective starter and build a successful offense around him on that. And from that standpoint, the way you do that, I believe, is collect a lot of options and then select the best option in each year going forward. And I think Kirby Smart plans on doing that. Kirby's kind of comfortable here with an unknown scenario in the future. All we know is that Georgia has a lot of elite-looking prospects, and in the future, they'll just simply identify the guy who's the most ready in that year to step on and play for Georgia. Eventually, we believe that Dylan Ryle will be heard from because he's that kind of player, he's that kind of prospect. But Brock Vandegrift doesn't become a lesser player because Ryola is here. Gunnar Stockton doesn't become a lesser player because Ryola will be here. That this is all good for Georgia. There's very little downside to having another great player added into the quarterback room that Georgia has in play. So things are fun right now. And the summer may even get even more fun moving forward as more and more recruits take notice of all the exciting things happening around UGA. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And we are so happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, we're on the radio at noon, on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. So many platforms, uh, just so many ways to connect with our show. We just appreciate you picking one of those ways and being a part of it. And we appreciate our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all happen for us today there as well. You better believe the offices of ESOG were really pumped up yesterday because these are proud partners of UGA. They love the dogs. They like supporting the dogs. They like all of you who support the dogs. It's just kind of a great relationship we have with great sponsors who are very much into the things that we're into. So the folks at Engineered Solutions of Georgia were happy yesterday about the uh, Dylan Riolda news, much the same way we were. Uh, and we are and will continue to be. And that's why I love having them as longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. And as I said before, proud partners of UGA, serving you in a time of need. If you've got a foundation issue, a waterproofing issue, these are concerns that homeowners might have. You see the evidence of it, whether it be water creeping in where it's not supposed to be, cracks in the walls in a way that you sort of know isn't the way that things are necessarily supposed to look. All of those major concerns for you, it doesn't do you any good to put them off. It doesn't do you any good to pretend it doesn't exist. What does you good is to pick up the phone and dial 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW, and that'll get you in touch with my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, a solutions-based company who has an entire team of engineers on staff ready to help you with your foundation problem, your waterproofing problem, whatever that might be. There's really nobody else in our marketplace that says they can put that level of resource to work for you when you deal with one of those kind of problems. So my encouragement is to check them out today. Loyal friends of ours for a long time, and we're proud to tell, tell their story here on the show because I truly believe that if you're a homeowner finding yourself in a tough spot where you got water where it's not supposed to be or settling issues where you know that's not supposed to be going on, uh, no better resource to help you figure all that out than a great solutions-based company like our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Call them 678-ESOG-NOW. That is 678-ESOG-NOW. 
All right, we are going to talk more about the Dylan Riola situation with Connor Riley coming up in a moment. As I told you, Connor had a great piece at dognation.com on this. We were live on video reacting this uh, there yesterday, too. One of the names we didn't mention a moment ago is Ryan Puglisi, another quarterback commit for Georgia in the class of 2024. I'm sure we'll get more into the Puglisi part of this. Seems like, as Jeff has reported many times, you know he's unwavering with UGA, even in the face of the Riola news. So we'll cover every angle, including the angles we haven't quite gotten to yet with Connor on this coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, let's go around the doghouse. And I want to change the subject because there was other Georgia news that came out yesterday evening last night that I don't want you to miss. And we're going to try to see if we can make sense of all of this here for a moment. Lyneth Whitehead, who's a former four-star running back who went to Athens Academy, ended up at Tennessee, announced yesterday after being in the transfer portal, I believe, since December that he was planning on coming to Georgia. I'll show you this on social media. Uh, Whitehead, who was said before, he's from Athens, says we're headed home, Mom, literally in this case, uh, hometown of the University of Georgia. Nice edit there. Uh, Hayes Fawcett from uh, On3 putting that together. You see Whitehead in the background, Kirby Smart there in the uh, forefront there. So Whitehead coming to Georgia as a transfer running back. If you read jeffsintelatdognation.com, you'll see that the thought here is, is that Whitehead is doing this as a walk-on. So to try to interpret what all of this means, because Whitehead has been in the transfer portal as long as he has been, I don't think there's any question that Whitehead is eligible to play this upcoming season. I believe that's probably the case. Because he is thought to be a walk-on, this is probably someone who may be more of a guy here to kind of bolster the depth of Georgia this position and not necessarily a insurance policy because high-profile Georgia running backs like Kendall Milton and now Branson Robinson and certainly Andrew Paul recovering from injury but injuries have been connected to a good number of Georgia running backs I think this is more about kind of bolstering the depth overall keep in mind Savon Clark recently transferred out of the program uh, I think this is more about kind of bolstering that depth I believe than bringing in someone because they're extra concerned about the Milton injury or extra concerned about the Branton Robinson injury or extra concerned about Andrew Paul's injury recovery. I think this is more about a general need to to just sort of add more depth to the overall Georgia running back situation. But I think it's also important to kind of point this out here too, that all of the questions that kind of pop up because of the Whitehead move here, I think speak to the questions that exist about the Georgia running back situation in general and I believe and I'm curious if y'all agree with me on this I don't think there's any position group for Georgia right now that has more questions about it heading into the upcoming season than the Georgia running back situation and we may get a chance to see Kirby interviewed press conference style SEC spring meetings coming up sometimes that happens and my hope is I won't be there in Destin the, I won't be you know part of the coastal elite mob that gets a chance to travel down there for that but uh, my hope is uh, that those who are there will ask a lot of questions about running back you know Kirby's done a couple of radio interviews recently this is not the kind of thing that Kirby gets asked in a radio interview because typically speaking you know radio hosts aren't maybe following quite close enough be able to ask that it's one of the reasons why you know Kirby sort of favors the radio the radio interviews because you sort of get the more of the general overview type questions as opposed to the sort of specific drill down type questions but I do think that there is a little bit of curiosity of well just how healthy will Kendall Milton be come summertime just how healthy is Branson Robinson going to be you know as you head towards training camp uh how is that injury recovery going for Andrew Paul how many capable running backs does Georgia have for the upcoming season? Is there a guy this year that can do what Kenny McIntosh did last year, what James Cook did before that, Sonny Michelle did before that in terms of being kind of the pass-catching, versatile running back? I, I don't know that any of this sort of adds up as a negative for Georgia. I mean, I expect Georgia to still be a very good team this year, of course, and I'm sure that they'll have a capable running back room the same way they typically always seem to have. There's obviously a lot of trust in the position coach, Del McGee, but there's also some mystery around the Georgia running back spot. And I think the Whitehead arrival as a transfer, we presume walk on uh, back here, only kind of, I think, heightens and accentuates the questions already being asked. Now, before we get back to the Riola conversation, let me kind of sort of book in this with Kirby Smart back post G-Day, his thoughts with the running back room at the time. But as he answered these questions, I, or I should say as he sort of addresses his feelings on the position, I think it does highlight some questions that Georgia fans kind of have. This is what Kirby said after G-Day. 
No, we have good backs. Andrew Paul was, was, had a really good fall camp. Feel really good about him coming back healthy. And he's going to be like his freshman year because he really didn't get that, so he'll be behind. Uh, Branson, whenever we're able to get him back, man, he had a great spring. He got the workload. We got two backs with a lot of experience in Dejon and Kendall um, who've, who've played and done a good job. Uh, so I'm like, I'm excited about those guys. Cash has done a great job. Rod Robinson uh, had a good day today. He's a different kind of back. He catches the ball well out of the backfield. He's big and physical. Uh, guys don't like tackling him. So, I mean, we have a good group of backs. I feel, I feel really confident about our, the, the group we have. So Kirby says he's common to the Georgia running backs, and I guess the fact that you know, Georgia was more aggressive in the transfer portal earlier for running back. Maybe is the proof that's in the pudding here on this. They really do kind of feel good about the running back situation. But nonetheless, there are still some unanswered questions. Exactly how healthy is Robinson and uh, how soon will, will he be back to full strength? What is the situation with Kendall Milton? Was that just precautionary during the spring? You know, seems like that probably was the case. But there are some unanswered questions here. And so at some point in time this summer, I hope we get some of those answers. And you better believe as you head towards the actual start of training camp, a lot of Georgia fans will have a lot of curiosity about what's going on there at the running back spot. But that is a question for a different day. For now, a lot of the focus, a lot of the attention on the quarterback position after the nation's number one recruit, the five-star Dylan Riola, made his announcement to Georgia yesterday, making it official. A lot of folks thought that Riola was on the way, and we was just, we were just simply looking for when it was going to occur. Well, yesterday was the day. So let's figure out what happens next now and all of the various, I guess, subtopics related to the uh, big news with Riola yesterday. Let's do it with the guy who's already been out in full force on the website, dognation.com, writing about this. Let's speak with Connor Riley right now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, Connor Riley joins us now. Uh, already had a lot to write there on DogNation.com. So, Connor, let me start with what I kind of referenced from you a little earlier. I, I do think it's important to give a lot of credit to Mike Bobo for this. I think you know that I don't pretend to be like the insider type guy, whatever else. I mean, thankfully, I've never had to kind of pretend to be anything that I'm not. I just come on here and try to do a good show. Uh, but I did hear pretty, uh, you know, I guess from somebody who sort of would know that I don't know that Dylan Ryle had that great of a relationship with Todd Munkin necessarily. That, that I don't know if Munkin's the offensive coordinator here, if Dylan Ryle is ultimately on his way to Georgia. And so that leads me to believe that a more recruiting-minded OC like Mike Bobo, I think, really must have helped Georgia in this particular situation. You obviously gave Bobo some credit uh, for this there at dognation.com so why don't we start right there how big do you think Mike was in ultimately winning with uh, Dylan Riola here yeah let's make no bones about it like Tom Munkin was a fantastic offensive coordinator helped elevate the Georgia offense in his time here and he made no bones about it he's not a recruiter that was not what he liked doing that there's a reason he went back to the NFL there's a reason he went from being a Southern Miss head coach to being an offensive coordinator, non-play caller with the Tampa Bay Bucks all those years ago. Like, recruiting is just not what he likes to do. I think with Mike Bobo, and, and I wrote this in the story, well, yes, obviously he has to go out there and score points because that's what all Georgia offensive coordinators have to do. And bringing in a guy who so often has been able to close with elite quarterback recruits and then, for the most part, turn those guys into big-time players. Obviously, Matthew Stafford, the first and foremost that comes to mind there, and the similarities between Stafford and Rayola are obvious. But you know, Aaron Murray was a highly-ranked recruit, and you saw what you got out of him becoming the SEC's essentially all-time leader in every statistical category. Uh, on his way out the door, he was a big reason that Jacob Eason stayed committed to Georgia. And obviously, Eason's career at Georgia didn't play out the way everyone thought. But that was an important moment for, for Kirby Smart in, in getting Eason, and Bobo laid a lot of the groundwork there. And this is a thing, and he has an ability to relate with young quarterbacks and convince them that this is Georgia is the place to be for them. And, look, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this over the very many months and maybe even up here on our call, but, you know, Georgia, yes, and sure, you can point out, you know, he missed on Deshaun Watson, whatever. Uh, but I think largely with Rayola, there's a belief that Bobo in the past has gotten the most out of young quarterbacks, helped develop them, and either turn them into pro NFL prospects like Matthew Stafford or develop them into all-time great college quarterbacks like he did with Aaron Murray. And so the belief in that, I think, is a big reason why Kirby Smart ended up hiring 
Mike Bobo to be the offensive coordinator at Georgia. And again, yes, he's going to have to produce and score points on the field to, to really quiet, I think, a lot of the batters out there. But in hiring Bobo as an offensive coordinator, this is one of the things that you get, an elite recruiter that can make an impact on some of the top prospects in the country. So I think for a lot of our folks who maybe don't follow recruiting quite as closely, one of the things they probably feel, if I had to guess, is there's sort of a Dylan Riola every year. That There's always a quarterback that a guy like me obsesses over and we kind of hype up and talk about. And sometimes those guys end up being every bit as good as we think they're going to be. Sometimes it ends up being a little bit different than that. So let's talk about this here for a moment. What do you think about Dylan Riola, the player? And I think the most appropriate thing here is sometimes not just to compare him to his contemporaries, the guys that are in the class with him, but let's go back and compare him to a year ago. You brought up Arch Manning yesterday on the video that we did in the immediate aftermath of the, of, of the decision here. How do you kind of compare Dylan Riola across classes right now? Is there comp for him? Like, what do you think of Riola as a player? Yeah, I think there he's a clear tier above just i think the best quarterback in this class i don't think comparing him to those contemporaries is necessarily fair i would take him over every quarterback in the 2023 recruiting cycle that includes arch manning that includes jackson arnold at oklahoma that includes nika amaliva at tennessee uh the vibes and again i'm not saying that this is going to be the player that he is but in the story i wrote this morning you watch him play maybe it's just his body type there are like Patrick Mahomes-esque vibes with what Rayola is able to do uh, in terms of throwing the football. I think comparatively, like, is he on that Trevor Lawrence here? No, and part of that might be the competition that he plays. Uh, you know, Caleb Williams, he's sort of in that sort of range as a prospect, and Caleb Williams is having a fantastic college career. Um, and, and Williams also, you know, was in the COVID class, and so I think that sort of impacted how he was evaluated maybe didn't get the chance to get the praise and hype that maybe he should have. But, you know, in hearing Jeff Sintel talk about Williams as a prospect, uh, I, I think that's sort of the area where where uh, Dylan Raiola, Raiola sort of occupies in terms of being a prospect. I, I know a lot of people are obviously going to make the Arch Manning comparison, given Georgia was in a similar situation recruiting him to the extent that they were last year. I like I like Raiola's ceiling higher. And, look, yeah, like the Manning and all that comes with that, if you know, if Archie's last name wasn't Manning, I do sort of believe he would be seen as the same sort of generational recruit. With, with Raiola, you have a lot of the same things that made that made Manning the number one overall prospect because he comes from great bloodlines. His father, obviously, a longtime center in the NFL. The relationships that he has, the sort of work ethic that comes with being around an NFL father, I do think that is going to help Raiola in terms of him getting the most out of his college career. I think for some people, they may think that what we're saying about Arch now feels convenient because obviously we talked plenty about Arch for a long time leading up to last summer. But Connor, here's the thing I can say on, on behalf of a lot of our audience. The moment that Arch chose Texas, you know, I don't know that we really had much of a conversation about him ever again, whereas there was certainly plenty of you know, kind of gnashing of teeth over, gosh, would have loved to have gotten back involved with Justice Haynes again, or certainly Caleb Downs, also out of the state of Georgia. You know, two guys end up going to Alabama. Georgia fans still talked plenty about them once they made their initial commitment in the hope, as faint as it might have been, that maybe Georgia could have gotten back involved. I never really heard a Georgia fan mention Arch Manning again, you know, after he committed to Texas. So, you know, ultimately, even at the time, it didn't really feel like a death blow to Georgia that it did not get Arch. And maybe some of that was the foreknowledge of a guy like Dylan Riola being out there for the class of 2024, that there was still plenty of talk about Riola, even with Arch, even when Arch Manning was a recruit on the open market. People kind of already knew who Dylan was. Maybe it seemed like a little bit of a long shot that Georgia might get him, but it's not like Dylan Riola was a total unknown even this time a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I was having a conversation this time a year ago because uh, I don't believe Rayola, Rayola was committed at that point in time, uh, and uh, obviously Arch wasn't. I, I was texting with some with some colleagues. Would you rather have Rayola or Manning? And at the time, there, were, there was a quite vocal proponent, I think myself included, that was saying that, yeah, I mean, I know he's a year farther away from getting to campus, and there's a lot more that could happen between now and then, but if you could pick, I would have taken Raiola. And so for Georgia to ultimately win this out to get him after decommitting from Ohio State and all that comes with that, I think when you compare Raiola and Manning, which is absolutely going to be something that happens going forward, at least from a Georgia fan perspective, given, you know, number one quarterbacks, Bulldogs recruited both very seriously, Manning goes to Texas, Raiola picks Georgia. I think when you look at the two of them, the biggest difference in, in my eye is, just, there's a fluidity that comes with Raiola in his game that it just looks more natural, whereas with Manning, 
it looks a little stiffer. He's a little bit more robotic in, in terms of how he goes about doing things, which lines up with how Peyton and Eli played, in my opinion. And Peyton and Eli were wildly successful NFL quarterbacks. So that's not to say that Arch isn't going to be a very good player. I still would probably bet on that being the case. But when watching, when watching Dylan play, you're watching a guy that sort of more of an artist at the position, whereas if, you know, Arch Manning is in like Tom Brady – Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, sort of, you know, art, uh, mechanic, robotic sort of mold. There's an artistry, I think, that comes with watching Raiola play, and I'll be interested in seeing how Mike Bobo, how Kirby Smart, how the Georgia football program gets the most out of that level of artistry. The other thing that I think probably tells the story of how good Georgia thinks Raiola is, probably better than anything else, Connor, there are a lot of very good quarterbacks in the class of 2024 who are going to some big-time programs. And the best that I can tell, Georgia did not give these guys the time of day. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the players because we don't do that around here, but we're even led to believe that there may have been some elite quarterbacks that wouldn't have minded coming to Georgia, and Georgia just simply wasn't open for business at, at the time they wanted to do that. that. That Georgia, from a 2024 quarterbacking standpoint, in addition to Ryan Baglisi, of course, has kind of always been in on – uh, uh, Dylan Riola here and no interest whatsoever in some other 2024 quarterbacks that maybe you know certainly come up on other shows all the time or other recruiting conversations all the time and maybe we've even chatted about in the past and Georgia just was not interested because they were kind of always interested in Riola for this particular slot yeah the only other quarterback name that comes to mind would have been Jake Merklin or uh out of yeah. the Savannah area but other than that and that offer came if I'm remembering the timelines correctly uh, Dylan had just taken visits to like Nebraska and USC, and it was sort of maybe looking a little bit shaky there. But Georgia, because of it not taking a quarterback in 2023, it always wanted to take two quarterbacks in that class. In this class, it knew that it got Ryan Puglisi early, and you know, yes, it helps that Dylan decommitted from Ohio State in December. From really that point on, Georgia is sort of similar like to how it treated Arch Manning last cycle. They made it very clear. Dylan is our guy. We're going all in on him. We'll go to the mat for this, and we're going to make sure we do everything we can to land him. If we don't, we'll go out and try and figure it out and piece it together from there. Kirby Smart, I asked him about this on signing day. Uh, you know, there are always quarterbacks. It's sort of it's like the arrested development line. There's always money in the banana stand. Sure. There are always, always quarterbacks in the transfer portal. And, and so, you know, that maybe lessened the, the worry about, hey, if we don't land Dylan, where does that leave our quarterback situation with? And, and I think that's the right way to go about playing this with a prospect of Dylan's caliber. And, and so you add him to this recruiting class, to this program. And I think the big thing in one of the, the offshoots of this is, look, Jeff's talked about this. He's written about this. Jeremiah Smith had some tweets about it yesterday. Obviously, Ryan Ringo's a name to know. The wide receivers and potentially tight ends as well that, that I think Dylan is capable of bringing with him is only going to for, further push this Georgia offense into what we've already sort of seen it mold into in recent seasons and I think if you're a Georgia fan you should be very excited about that possibility as this wide receiver room I think has the potential to continue to get better with the addition of Dylan Rayola at the quarterback position all right so let me do that I want to do two more issues on Rayola one of those is what you just mentioned there which is I think that people have had kind of the assumption in the past that that Georgia didn't want this they didn't want the elite quarterback they didn't want the elite wide receivers they wanted to kind of do things a different way and I do believe that Georgia, I think, genuinely thinks, and I think they probably should think, hey, you got to play great defense. You got to have dominant play on both lines of scrimmage. That's incredibly important. I don't believe that changes for Georgia, even with the presence of a guy like Ryle on the program. But I think the fact that they do go so all in on Dylan here and they are now entertaining the kinds of wide receivers that want to play with a guy like Dylan Ryola. I think that's an indication to, you know, would-be Georgia critics that Georgia wants to be just as good and dynamic offensively as it has been defensively, and they want to kind of try to find a way for those two sides of the ball to continue to complement each other. But this notion that Georgia somehow doesn't want the great quarterback or doesn't want the great wide receivers, I think the mood around the program this summer sort of shows you how wrong that is, I believe. If you'll allow me to put on my uh, conspiracy cap here, there's, I think you'd agree it's undeniable that Georgia's offense in games against, in big games, in games against teams that are capable of matching up with the talent wise, was just a different offense than yep. what we saw against overmatched opponents like Kentucky, uh, Missouri last year, even Georgia Tech to an example there. Uh, and I think that's by design. Whether you agree that's a good strategy or not, Georgia very clearly opens things up against 
better competition. Dylan Raiola comes into the program at the start of the 2024 season. You know who else is coming into the SEC in the start of the 2024 season? Texas and Oklahoma. Yep. They're doing away with divisions. Georgia's schedule is going to get more difficult. That is just the reality of taking Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt off your annual schedule every year and adding in better and, and adding in better games. You're going to need to see Georgia play with that same level of offensive intensity, that same level of offensive openness against better teams simply because you're going to have a better schedule. And so I, I think what you saw last year from Stetson Bennett and the way he was able to play for Georgia in those bigger games where he was able to rise and elevate his game in those circumstances, I think sort of maybe opened the door to Kirby's mind a little bit of, hey, look, going forward we're going to have to open things up and have a sort of an offensive equivalent to what our defense has been in recent seasons. And I do think that that went a long way in, in sort of assaging any concerns you might have out there about what Dylan might see going into the future with this Georgia offense and how open it might truly be. So with the schedule getting more difficult, Georgia, I think, again, clearly making an effort to get better and more talented in the wide receiver room. Obviously, the tight end room, so long as Todd Hartley is there, is going to be the best in the country. With all that in mind, with the schedule getting tougher, with the SEC getting tougher, with, you know, again, a longer season of games, with an expanded college football playoff, you're just naturally playing better teams. I think that all factors into why Georgia, in the last two cycles, obviously going after Arch a year ago, and then once again going after and successfully landing Dylan in this cycle, it, it all sort of makes sense as to why you've maybe seen that change, seen that schematic shift in terms of what Georgia is doing. I think that's a legitimately great take, and I had not considered that angle of it, that the Georgia schedule is going to get tougher in future years. And it's interesting to think that Georgia, which has dominated college football the last two years, knows it needs to be even better moving forward, and this is maybe a step in that direction. Connor, I think that's a really wise assessment of the situation. All right, one more thing about Riola that I want to ask about the other news of the day. Uh, a little bit of a source of uh frustration for me a little bit i I guess you want to put it that way are people who kind of immediately sort of jump to the oh gosh how does georgia keep all these quarterbacks i think even aaron murray was guilty of that on social media yesterday sort of quickly pivoting to i'm not sure you keep all these quarterbacks happy you know this is one of those things connor i told my audience a moment ago you know kirby seems pretty comfortable with an unknown future and understanding that there are certain aspects of the future that cannot be controlled you just sort of simply have to let them play out and I believe that those of us who are Georgia fans, I certainly am one, uh, we would do right to sort of follow Kirby's lead on this. I don't mind telling you, I have no idea how all of this plays out. I don't know what the future holds for Carson Beck. I don't know what the future holds for Gunnar Stockton, Brock Vandegrift. I don't know what the future holds for Dylan Ryle. I believe a prospect of his talent is going to be a tough customer in any competition, but I also believe that the experience that guys like Gunnar and Brock have, having been in the program, is a pretty effective weapon for them there too. I wouldn't make really any predictions about who's going to start in any season moving forward here for Georgia. I don't I don't believe and I'm kind of okay with that. My wish for Georgia fans is they be okay with that too. I think there are too many people that sort of jump way too quickly into the oh my gosh, who's going to transfer? I honestly don't care and I don't think the Georgia fans should either. I, there are two things that come to mind here. When it comes to the quarterback position with Kirby Smart, it's pretty clearly, to me, it, it, it's going to play out like that scene in The Dark Knight where the Joker breaks a pool stick, throws it on the ground, and there are three sort of goons there, and he's saying, hey, we're going to add somebody to this. Somebody's going to be in our crew. I'm not, we're not going to show you how it happens. Figure it out. One of you guys is going to be the guy. I think that's how this quarterback situation pretty much every year is going to play out under Kirby Smart. It's no different than any other position on the team in terms of the competition he wants to see. It's just, unlike inside linebacker, unlike wide receiver, there's only one guy that can really play. The other thing that my mind sort of goes to here when discussing this quarterback situation, Justin Fields was probably the last quarterback of Raiola's caliber to come to Georgia, and obviously he ends up transferring after the first year. And what would have been Justin Fields' senior season, and yes, you can point out that most guys of Fields' caliber often go for after the third season, but what would have been his fourth year, fourth season at Georgia, Georgia still won a national championship without Fields. And so I understand the hand-wringing that comes with this, the idea that having a really talented quarterback makes winning a national title easier. You've seen it be the case with Clemson. You saw it with LSU in 2019. Kirby Smart has very purposefully built his program to not be so reliant on a quarterback. And I think you can look and see what has happened with Clemson in these past two seasons where you missed on a quarterback evaluation. DJ Uyunglele just did not turn out to be the guy that I think a lot of people thought he was going to be. 
which is natural to happen with quarterbacks, with five-star quarterbacks. That's just going to happen. He's built his, this Georgia program to not be quarterback-reliant. If you get great quarterback play like you did last year out of Stetson Bennett, that's fantastic. That's going to help cover up some weaknesses. That defense was still really good last year. You had the best offensive line in college football. You had the best tight end room in college football as well, in my opinion. And so with all that in mind, yes, I understand why there is some hand-wringing with this quarterback position, as there always seems to be under Kirby Smart. But if you still have sort of that level of concern of, oh, well, who's going to transfer, who's going to leave, who's going to go where, I, you just, I don't think you've been paying attention to what you've seen on the field in Georgia in the recent seasons. To where This isn't a program where – Maybe even unlike Alabama, where I think you've seen they've been very quarterback line. I would certainly say they were last season uh, with Bryce Young under center. And you're already, now again, yes, they still have to go out there and play the games. You're sort of seeing the ramifications of being reliant on a single quarterback, a single player to sort of lead your team. With that in mind, like, again, Georgia won back-to-back national titles. The quarterback on either of those teams has not been the best or the most important player. I think Kirby Smart sort of loves that. And yes, why Raiola is a fantastically talented player, I still probably bet, you know, that's not going to be the case during his college career where he's the best player, the most important player for Georgia on the field. All right, on a completely different subject, you know, the news came out last night that Lynette Whitehead, the former four-star running back from Athens Academy who had been at Tennessee and dealt with some injury situation there, was transferring to Georgia. And I think this is one of those things where a lot of Georgia fans are like, wait, what is this? What's going on here? So, Connor, my read on this situation is, is this is about bolstering Georgia running back depth. It seems like, based on some reporting from Jeff Sintel and kind of the chatter that's out there, uh, Whitehead's likely to be a walk-on here. So I, I I sort of see this as more about making sure you've got enough running backs in your room as opposed to, oh my gosh, we think that Branson Robinson's so injured or we think that, that Kendall Milton's so injured that we got to go out and get a guy like Whitehead. With due respect to Whitehead, if that would be the case, I don't think Whitehead's the guy they're necessarily going out to get if they felt like they needed a Branson Robinson, Kendall Milton you know, style replacement here. I think Whitehead's a good player to have in the program, but to me this is more about kind of the overall shape of the room than it is some sort of injury concern here. Is that a similar read that you have on this situation? Yeah, I think Lennox Whitehead is a Savon Clark replacement. Uh, Clark went in the portal, was a walk-on with Georgia, would play meaningful snaps you know, in, in late-game blowouts, but a guy, a good guy to have in your Georgia running back room. And given that Georgia's running back situation was pretty banged up throughout the spring, you can understand the want and the need to add a guy with an SEC pedigree to this roster. I don't think he's taking carries away from Kendall Milton. I don't think he's taking away carries from Branson Robinson, who by all accounts had a great spring. My understanding is his injury is not nearly as serious as Shmuel Munden's injury is. And so my expectation is that Robinson should be good to go at the start of spring practice. We'll maybe hear a little bit more from that from Kirby when he speaks at SEC spring meetings and gets asked about it. But I think with this addition of Whitehead, again, it's just more about overall depth there. They were really banged up at running back this spring. And while, yes, you bring in a guy in Whitehead, does come from Tennessee. He didn't play last season. He didn't play his freshman season as he was recovering from injury. This isn't a guy that I think is going to be counted on to take major snaps, to take snaps away from guys like Kenneth Bolton, Bajan Edwards. But I think he's a great guy to have to add a, another valuable body and a, a guy that can, hand, that can handle the sort of rigors of playing in the SEC, even if physically he hasn't been able to stay healthy and get on the field consistently. Very quickly here, as a quick follow-up and we'll let you go, you mentioned what I also said a moment ago too is I hope we hear from Kirby on running backs at spring meetings. I hope Kirby does a traditional press conference to folks who are there and, and he gets asked about that because to me, Connor, there is no position group right now around Georgia that has more questions about it than running back does. I'm not even saying that to be negative. Georgia may be very, very good at running back. There's certainly a chance that, that it will be, but it is mysterious. You know, I love your reporting there on Branson Robinson, and as a Georgia fan, I certainly you know hope that proves to be true. The Milton situation, I still am pretty bullish on him for the upcoming season, but there's a lot of mystery around the Georgia running back spot right now because of what Georgia has lost and the fact that it was pretty banged up during the spring. We didn't see much of a dress rehearsal for running back on G-Day uh, just because the fact that the position group is so thin. To me, there's more unanswered questions about running back than any other position at Georgia, and I think that's true by a pretty wide margin. Do you agree with that? I do, and my sort of quake take for a while has been if you put justice hands on this team, uh, I'm telling you right now Georgia's winning the national championship. And while, yes, the running back position has lost its value in terms of football uh, in recent years, if you have a guy like Haynes on this team, it answers a lot of the questions that I have about this room. 
And while I agree with you that on the talent, I believe in this group, I just haven't seen anyone in this room get through a full 15-game season fully healthy, be the guy like, say, Kenny McIntosh was last year, like Zamir White was in his final two years of college, James Cook similarly there. And so that's going to be a question. And, you know, who is the guy – you think back to that – it's been a while since Georgia played close games, especially when maybe they needed to run the clock out ahead. Like you think back to that Clemson game at the start of the 2021 season. Who's going to be the guy if Georgia's up seven with four minutes to go that they feel comfortable handing the ball to, to to sort of run out the clock and grind away a win? I don't know who that guy is right now. I think it could be Kendall Milton. If I had to guess starting on, I guess, May 15th, it's probably Dejan Edwards to get the first crack at it. But we don't know who that is, and that's a valuable asset to have, as Georgia has shown throughout its time with a Kirby Smart. And so they've got to figure out who that guy is going to be. And it, they, that guy needs to be healthy in the first place to, to do that. Connor, fascinating conversation. Appreciate your time here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia Today. Look forward to having uh, a lot more from you at dognation.com and all these subjects and a whole lot more on what I think shapes up to be a very fun summer for Georgia fans. So we'll read you there. We'll talk to you again here next week, and uh, appreciate your time. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, just really very interesting stuff. Obviously, the Riola news is the, the big news, but the intriguing news is, okay, what you know, what does Whitehead bring to the table? Here's the thing that would make me very nervous if I was a non-Georgia fan about a move like this, is that Kirby takes every roster move very, very seriously, it would certainly seem like, and small edges can provide a big impact on your team from time to time so making sure that your running back depth is as deep as it could be is the kind of thing that coaches do when they want the best possible you know roster they can get even extending beyond the 85 here and obviously you go back and look at Whitehead as a recruit there was clearly you know a lot to like about him as a player there I think at one point in time George even kind of considered him maybe a guy for the other side of the ball there too so you know, this is a guy who's, I think, a pretty big thumper here. This is a strong, you know, strong guy. Uh, frankly, probably out of place in such a finesse-oriented team like Tennessee, to be completely honest. Uh, so I think that George will be glad to have him, even if, you know, as Connor said, more of like a Savon Clark-type role as opposed to a Branson Robinson-type role, even if it's more the former than the latter. Still a guy you're glad to have on your team because how you win national championships is get the most out of every spot on your roster, both the 85 scholarship guys and the guys who kind of extend beyond that. Kirby has just sort of proven to be very good at all of that. Now, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And by the way, getting the most out of every opportunity, that's what's important in life as well. And that means making the most out of your vacation time too. And if you want the best, most exciting vacation I think you can possibly have, a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation is just the answer there for me because it's kind of the combination of all the things that you can uh, get from from you know any vacation, right? I mean, it's like the entertainment options when you're on board the ship, the level of excitement you have, and I, I just love the, the the feeling when you know you take your family to dinner maybe, and you have the nice dinner. Then when the dinner's over with, you know, you can kind of exit the dining room and or exit the specialty restaurant you might be eating at, and sort of go see a show and. You know, it's it's just such an exciting thing. And then maybe you leave there and you go listen to a little, little bit of live music or you wander over Casino Royale and you take advantage of some of the stuff, uh, you know, going on there with that. You just enjoy the great entertainment options on board. To me, that's one of the things that sets the onboard experience apart on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship more so than anything else. Uh, it's just the, the kind of entertainment they offer for the entire family, by the way, a full array of family entertainment on board when you're on one of these great Royal Caribbean cruise ships. And, you know, this summer is still some time to get booked up if you want, although you better hurry if you want to do that now. You can also think about late 2023, moving into the fall time of year, early 2024, the debut of Icon of the Seas. Great travel agent Jessica Slater, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean, can help you out with all of that. Give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. She'll take care of you on all of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. All right, I want to go a cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean for a moment. And let me give you a little bit of insight here. This is how I read the news. There was a story this week at The Athletic written by Andy Staples where basically he lamented the current state of Florida's football program. The headline said something to the effect of, you know, perpetually two steps behind everybody else. Pretty negative appraisal of the situation at Florida. Now, when I read a story like this, the question I always sort of ask myself is, who benefits from the story being told? 
obviously Staples benefits because it's an intriguing story. I'm sure plenty of people read it, but Staples doesn't get to write it unless somebody wants to talk about it. And so once again, I'm asking the question of, well, who benefits here from uh, a negative portrayal of Florida? And one of the things you see in the story is Florida Athletic Director Scott Strickland is quoted pretty, you know, uh, profusely, you know, throughout this entire piece here. And what's interesting about that is it was just last week that Staples from The Athletic had a couple of interesting news notes about the future of the Georgia-Florida series in Jacksonville and some ideas around kind of what the, you know, the, the future of that event might be possibly more life in Jacksonville for that game and we initially realized there was interesting reporting coming from Andy Staples there on that so in my mind I'm like well why would Andy trash Florida in this story so shortly after getting a pretty good scoop and what seemed like it may have come from the Florida side why would he do that and then you realize oh seemingly by reading the story at the athletic Scott Strickland wants this stuff out there he wants to talk about how far behind Florida has been from a facility standpoint. He wants to talk about the 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 negative end of the tenure of Dan Mullen as head coach. This is Scott Strickland playing the blame game a little bit. And if you're a Florida fan or if you're a Georgia fan who hates Florida, all of this should be very interesting to you. Because here's the thing you understand is that Florida really needs Billy Napier to be a successful coach. Scott Strickland really needs Billy Napier to be a successful coach. You know, if you like Game of Thrones or like Succession, one of these shows, there's always like power dynamics and, you know, people sort of stabbing each other in the back, things like that. The Florida athletic situation over the course of the last few years is, uh, to me, a little bit like that in some respects because, you know, Scott Strickland uh, hires Dan Mullen, the guy that he worked with at Mississippi State, to come there at Florida. These are two guys who were thought to be closely connected to each other because they'd been together at Mississippi State and then together there at Florida. But then Strickland, as a way, I think, of saving himself, untethered himself from Dan Mullen and now kind of points more the finger of blame at Mullen for what's wrong with Florida. That it probably was a pretty good career move for Strickland to move away from Mullen when he did. But y'all, athletic directors don't get to keep hiring failed football coaches one right after the other after the other at some point in time Scott Strickland needs the football coach he hired to be a success I would say that right now Scott Strickland the Florida AD desperately needs Billy Napier to be successful so what is the tone of this piece in the athletic why was it written why did Scott Strickland agree to participate in this my read on this is is that this is Strickland and the Florida brass so to speak begging for a couple of things from fans begging for patience with uh with billy napier but also kind of pointing the finger at fans to say hey you know if 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 you want us to be good we need your support we need your support nil wise you know facility wise we need more of your support it's almost like turning to florida fans and saying it's your fault that we're not better and you know, based on the, the the lack of institutional support that may have existed there in the past, and Florida's obviously been pretty frugal with money over the years, even more so than Georgia times, at a time years ago when Georgia was thought to be pretty frugal in its own right. So the overall tone of this piece in The Athletic, written by Andy Staples, it's worth reading. It's a subscription piece, so you have to have the subscription to read it. It's pretty interesting because I think it gives you insight, even reading between the lines on Florida, that right now their key decision makers know they need patience from fans, Maybe they need more support from fans and boosters and, and things like that. Uh, the 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 future for Florida very uncertain right now as they try to remind folks they have been a major player in the college football scene, but it's been so long since they've actually been able to achieve that that you kind of run the risk of saying, well, are we still what we once were? Tennessee once dealt, dealt with that. It seemed like the answer with the question was no. Nebraska once dealt with that. It seems like the answer to that question has been no. Now Florida's dealing with it too. So it's not yet obvious how this question is going to be answered, but I can tell you this, Gator haters such as myself and Eddie the Blind Squirrel and everybody else we have around here, everybody uh, loving the current state of the Florida program. And the piece there at The Athletic only highlights that even more. Uh, Speaking of interesting reporting, there's also interesting reporting out there about the future of the ACC. So it has been long assumed this was the case, and I guess now we know. Spring meetings, and by the way, I'm telling you, there is no better job out there than being a college athletics administrator. Uh, the ACC spring meetings have been going on at Amelia Island here down in Florida. I mean, they're all like they could do this over Zoom, but instead they go to a nice, you know, golfing beach resort stuff like that. 
So the, the the reporting that kind of comes out of this, I guess Sports Illustrated had this first. Uh, Brett McMurphy, I think, had this there as well. Is that there are seven schools who are looking legally at how they might be able to get out of the contract that kind of holds the ACC together. So in other words, the ACC has what's called a grant of rights agreement. That's like your media rights deal, your TV deal, so to speak. And basically the way the contract is written, my understanding is, is that it's almost impossible to break this. And if they, if you didn't have the media rights deal, you wouldn't even have a conference. Uh, but unfortunately, the media rights deal is so long-term it pays the schools such a small amount of money in comparison to what the Big Ten and the SEC are getting that it's just kind of like a double whammy for the ACC. It's a contract that doesn't come to a close anytime soon, and it pays the ACC schools so little money that if you're a team like a Clemson or a team like a Florida State, this is also North Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia, Virginia Tech there as well. Uh, Miami's involved in this too that if you're one of those schools that feels like you've got some marketability outside the ACC, you just sort of feel like you're stuck and you probably are. Now, why are they stuck? Is because if you didn't put all these teams together in a long-term deal, you probably couldn't have held the league together at the time and sort of sort of the best deal you could get at that particular moment. But now a lot of these schools like Clemson, Florida State, teams that feel like they've got some some value outside the ACC, they see the money that the SEC and the Big Ten schools are making. They say, hey, I've seen that and I want some of that for me too. It is not obvious to me, obviously not being a lawyer, if there really is any legal ground for these teams to get out of their uh, contracts here with the ACC, but they are going to try. They are going to try. I mean, I want to read here from a story at cbsports.com. Key uh, decision maker for Florida State expressing some concern about falling $30 million behind SEC and Big Ten schools annually. And uh, he wants the ACC to rethink its revenue sharing approach. So basically, what this might end up being is a little bit of saber rattling, a little bit of posturing in the hope that the ACC could get kind of an imbalance in its revenue sharing. The teams that really drive the revenue, the ones that I just mentioned, maybe they get a larger share of the pie. Because what's funny here, of the seven schools that we're mentioning, you know, the, the Big Ten, the SEC would have some interest, you would think, in some of those, but probably not all of them. So the future of the ACC here very much in question and some teams that sort of feel like they might have some marketability other places are trying to find out just how anchored to the ACC are they really from a legal standpoint. There's going to probably be a lot more of this in the months to come. Then one final story to get to there as well. News coming out yesterday that Peacock, which is the subscription service, like streaming service owned by NBC, kind of connected to if you've got Comcast cable, you've got Peacock added to your uh, service and some people pay for it the wwe is on peacock it's a streaming service that some people have uh you can watch yellowstone reruns on uh peacock so you know there's there's some value in the peacock platform uh but they also announced that peacock is going to soon have an nfl playoff game it's gonna be the first ever nfl playoff game to be sort of standalone only available on a streaming platform like this this raised a lot of eyebrows yesterday because this is the kind of thing that's just never happened before now the nfl has moved in the direction of streaming with its uh amazon prime game on thursday nights this past season uh it's going to be sunday ticket the pay-per-view package the nfl's had for a long time is leaving direct tv it's going to youtube uh tv so that's a little bit of a streaming platform in its own right here but this is the kind of thing that's that's different than existed in the past where a playoff game we've seen playoff games on espn so technically i guess that's connected to a subscription but historically playoff games have mostly been on kind of over-the-air broadcast tv now you may not care about an nfl playoff game but i do think this has some implications for college football here too because in addition to peacock having the nfl playoff game they're also going to stream a series of big 10 games there as well because you don't go back to the spring you know think about the future competition between the sec and the big 10 the sec's tied to espn abc the big 10's tied to its networks fox cbs nbc we saw the big 10 network put a lot of spring games on tv we saw espn put a lot of games streaming on espn sec network plus i thought the Stuart mandel from the athletic had an interesting point about how you know disney which owns all this is very much in on streaming whereas fox and those networks a little bit more in on the kind of you know linear tv type model here and to me that's a concern because i don't know that the streaming football product is 
as quality as the uh, TV product is. You have to you know do the spinning wheel of death to click into it. It's hard to change channels back and forth because you're always entering and exit the platform to do that. Uh, the rewind function doesn't work as well if you want to go back and watch play again. There's just some, you know, not to mention the fact that you have to end up paying for all these subscription services there as well. And so I've been a little bit concerned as an SEC homer, so to speak, that the SEC is a little bit more involved with a TV network that's kind of more heavily involved with streaming. But now you see some games going to be streaming here on the Big Ten there as well. So I think from both a quality of life standpoint and kind of a competitive arms race standpoint, how much more football we see on streaming platforms in the future is going to be pretty fascinating. And, you know, not every technological advance is necessarily a change for the better. There are some technologies that eventually get scrapped. The future of streaming is far from certain because, you know, if you follow like business news, Netflix, Disney Plus, things like that, they're not exactly raking in cash right now. In fact, streaming sort of proven to be a little bit of a money loser, uh, uh, at least uh, here thus far. So all of this going on at the same time, sports continues to experiment with sort of a streaming model here. So if you're a college football fan, kind of making peace with some of this, probably a necessity. But finding out how much more of this is going to exist in the future, also a bit of a curiosity there, too. So the point is, we're going to be watching this a lot more, certainly, in the years to come. And for now, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. All right, as you might imagine, a whole bunch of fun uh, Dylan Riola-themed golden shoes for today. So let's kind of get ready to roll through all of that. Of those. Our buddy Mad Dog sending this to us. Dylan Riola, the first in a row of dominoes. They're about to fall for George in 2024. You see uh, Kirby Smart tipping over the Riola domino there. The other dominoes that follow for the 2024 recruiting class. Very good job by our buddy Mad Dog, who's always so good with his golden shoe submissions. Mad Dog, congratulations to you. Great looking piece of video there. Uh, Ness Baldazon, who was a part of the Dog Nation cruise with us, a whiskey connoisseur, says, I'm the, the poor of the night here to celebrate a commitment from the best quarterback of 2024. You see a wild turkey, rare breed, barrel proof there. Uh, nice little glass there for Mr. Baldazon celebrating the Dylan Riola, doing that in style. Ness, uh, certainly a golden shoe going your way, and hope you guys are doing well after our Dog Nation cruise. And then finally, one more. My buddy Frankie Fibonacci sent this. This is so funny. If you're not watching on video, I'll try to describe it. He says, oh, snap, I didn't know that Dog Nation Daily was reporting live from Bama this morning. He tagged some uh, folks there on that, hashtag go dogs, hashtag golden shoe. So what he does here is he takes some footage from our live show yesterday reacting to the Riola News, and then he puts the Alabama campus behind me on fire. His uh, caption says, fiery but peaceful protest in Bama as UGA lands the nation's number one player. Yeah, you better believe that there's a lot of upset folks there in Tuscaloosa and in Columbus and all those places where uh, they think of themselves as competitors to UGA. Dogs on top in college football. We don't see that changing anytime soon. Golden shoe to you as well, Mr. Frankie. And lousy stinking Gators. Talked about them a moment ago. 165 days from right now. Georgia will be back in Jacksonville beating them again. We call that our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.